Blog Talk Radio. We have a really interesting topic. Uh, we're talking about addiction, addiction processes, and addiction uh, chemical dependencies, and how they function in terms of our behavioral patterns and our bodies. So we're going to get right to that in just a moment. Uh, if you're listening to the program for the first time, welcome to the show. We are a show that deals with a variety of topics uh, that focus on the main theme of spiritual psychology for daily life. So that is, how do we take a a more spiritual uh, approach in terms of the principles and values and uh, and apply that to the way we live? Uh, If you're listening to the Archive program, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Our show is always available in archive format on blogtalkradio.com and also uh, available on iTunes uh, for a free podcast download. We have a Facebook page, a Twitter page, so please encourage you to um, join those pages and uh, our Twitter account, and um, you can find all of that on the homepage here on Blog Talk Radio, and the Facebook page is called The Mind Whisperer. Well, without further ado, let's get into the topic today, which is titled Online Sex, Sugar, and Shopping, How Addiction Works. This is a really fascinating topic because a lot of people are under the misnomer that Addiction really is a chemical dependency. Well, there are neurochemical processes involved with addiction. Uh, primarily, what is happening with addiction is, well, there's two, two fundamental processes. One is the, the, ur- the urge, the craving of the urge. And that is how we get hooked. And that's something that um, has you know, a, quite a, a complicated series of factors involved, but essentially it's all about stress. It's all about trying to manage anxiety or stress. And our brains are wired to seek um, danger and also to seek alleviation of, of danger or need. So starting very, um, very very basically in the brain, what people call the lizard brain, um, you have the vagus nerve, you have um, uh, you know the brain, the, the base of the uh, brain stem, where the spine meets the brain and the spinal cord, and where that vagus nerve branches out into the nervous system, and so that's sort of like the thermometer, if you will, of our, our physiology, of our brain and our body, uh, telling us that we're okay in the world. It's been suggested that this really is the fundamental um, baseline determination of consciousness, and you can see it in um, more um, primitive organisms in terms of brain development, um, like lizards or whatever, and they talk about how 
we can identify consciousness. And so that that's been suggested just that that basic functional awareness. Well, from there, um, any sense of um, internal um, r regulatory response in terms of temperature or um, hunger, etc., um, goes up to uh, the midbrain region, which is the, the fight or flight center, and the amygdala, which is checks on sort of the emotional uh, aspect of things, and um, other organs in the, in the in the hippocampus, which is related to memory, and these all kick up into the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is sort of the computer of your brain. It's the rational center of your brain. And so we have a stimulus, and then we have the uh, analysis of that stimulus and then a response. Now, for a normal person who is habituated, you know, in a, in a self-regulating kind of way, in a normalized kind of way, you know, is not out of balance in terms of their needs. So basic hunger, basic thirst, you're not under great duress. And the slight stimulation of hunger signals your body through low blood sugar, etc., that you need to go get some food. And so this process happens very quickly without really any conscious awareness. And your prefrontal cortex or the neocortex, you know, um, has a, a craving to eat. And you, you feel a little bit edgy. Now, if you go too long and your blood sugar drops, of course, then you start to lose focus and concentration because your system is now switching more into that stress mode. Now, if you are predisposed or um, have unresolved um, trauma in your past or you actually are in a trauma situation or in an emergency situation, then by default, you're, you're already in that mode. You're under a state of high arousal and your system is going to be doing what it can to manage that state because this is sort of like the default of your system um, when you're under threat. So this could be unresolved issues from your uh, your past, a, a traumatic event, traumatic childhood, um, etc. And so we see a lot of crossover between people who have addictions, uh, behavioral or chemical addictions or substance abuse problems, and shame-based uh, trauma in their childhood. Very, very high comorbidity of these of these factors. So how does this affect the, the rest of us in terms of looking at the addictive quality of online porn, internet porn, which I couldn't actually list on the program title today. <laughs> we got uh, uh, a little bit of uh, um, censorship there. Um, but that's what I was suggesting, is that there's recent studies now that are correlating internet porn as an addictive process, uh, no different than cocaine in the brain. So how does that work and why does that work? Well, again, these are anxiety reduction behaviors. So it could be, as I said, some trauma or some internal shame or, you know, you're under stress. Maybe you lost your job or something in your relationship is triggering you. And uh, and you seek to avoid or ameliorate that distress. And the primary function here in the brain is the reward circuit. Now, you may have heard this before, but the, the, the main neurochemical in the brain, the hormone, uh, is dopamine. And dopamine signals us that uh, um, it's the chemical that regulates well-being, uh, pleasure, a sense of ease and security. And so uh, dopamine goes off quite – a lot of people might know that dopamine goes off when we eat chocolate. There's a chemical in um, uh, chocolate called PEA, which um, releases – is released in the brain when we eat dark chocolate 
and that gives us that pleasurable dopamine-like response. We can mostly regulate this dopamine response because, again, we have a wide variety of, of um, behaviors and relationships in our lives that um, are a source of dopamine pleasure, you know, the reward circuit in the brain. So you feel good when you do something for somebody, you pet your dog, you um, perform well at work, um, you're going to give your, go on vacation, um, you relax when you come home from work. All these things can release a dopamine-like response, talking to a good friend, etc., listening to classical music or, or music that makes you relax and, um, and calm. So if you're in a state of hyperarousal, then you're in a pervasive state where you need to uh, address, you know, this elevated state of stress. And that's where we get prone to addictive behavior. So what happens is the, the signal to deal with the stress drives you to a behavior. Now, everyone's wired differently. And so for some people, it may be shopping for a pair of shoes, as it says in the title of today's program. For some people, it may be um, wanting that surge of, relaxation and perhaps they're more prone to uh, you know drug culture or people you know that uh, are around them or maybe it's just the way that they're wired that they need that in sense of immediacy in in the physiological hit that they get from something like um, uh, drugs or alcohol but essentially it works relatively the same way in the brain in terms of the craving and so this is what happens with um, internet porn that we're finding out now that we finally have X users over a long period of time um, of, of consumers of internet form. You know, it's a, it's a evolutionary response in men to seek a mate and women, but it's primarily men who are users of internet porn, and we've become very pervasively um, addicted to it. Um, something like, you know, 90% of college-age men have, have surfed the net for internet porn. And so how does that become addictive? Like, well, as, as I said, there's an evolutionary um uh, impulse to find a mate. And this creates a spike of um, activity and a surge of chemicals in the brain and excitement when that possibility arises. Now, why was this not present in prior to the internet with uh, you know, magazine pornography and, and video pornography? Well, the, the real distinguishing factor is the availability and the immediacy. So the response to internet porn is very different than the response to pornography in a magazine or in videos. Um, and the reason is, is because your attention and what it does in the brain. And what it does is essentially takes that spike in arousal, like this, this is something that is interesting me, and it supplants that, that natural rise and fall of that arousal cycle where you, you satisfy that arousal, you look through the magazine, perhaps you you know, masturbate or whatever you need to do to to complete your your pleasure response to the to the pornography. But with internet porn, there's an endless stream of stimulation, and it becomes about the click, the click, the click, and there's something else. And the novelty is what we get wired to. And this is very fascinating. The research now is is backing this up. So now that that natural um, stimulation and, and reward response, that whole level goes up a notch. And so you are functioning at a much higher level of need and a much more erratic cycle of um, um, stimulus response and, and the need to um, reward 
Okay, and so that gets that gets wired into the dopamine release in the brain. So we become wired to that stimulus, clicking online, and that's the only thing that will give us that dopamine response because it's we continually go back to the source. And so it's no different than going back to a drug because that's the only thing that will give you the hit. Um, and it could just as easily be shopping for shoes. There's the anticipation of what it's going to of, of being able to go shopping that releases that dopamine in the brain, which is which you know lights up the reward centers in our brain that we associate with pleasure. And so what happens, of course, is that when you go shopping for shoes, you buy the shoes, and then there's a letdown because there's a there's a there's a momentary feeling of elation and completion and satisfaction, but then of course you've already you've got the shoes now. And where are the next pair? Now the difference is is that there are there are limiting factors to buying in real time, uh budget being one of them, but that's not necessarily gonna stop certain people. But uh just logistics of being able to go out and go shopping and how many shoes can you actually have in your house. Now when it comes to online porn or drugs for that matter you can uh, become extremely addicted and um, very wired into that uh, stimulus response and reward because there's it's, it's at your fingertips. And so you can look at internet porn use as akin to crack cocaine. Crack cocaine has a very, very short uh, half-life, so to speak. It's a, it's a very, um, you know, essentially an aerosolized form of cocaine in crystal form that you smoke, you inhale it, it goes into your bloodstream very quickly, but the effects wear off very quickly as well. And so crack cocaine addicts need to um, continually smoke because it's such a raw form of cocaine compared to snorting or injecting it. And But the, but the uh, uptake is so quick and the die-off effect is so quick that... Um, you know, you just have to continually use. Well, this is very much what's happening with um, with internet porn. Is it's the addiction to the next site, the next site, the next image, and the novelty of that image becomes like a new drug in a way. Um, so it would be somewhat like using crack cocaine and then using crystal meth and then using heroin every time you're you're starting anew and resurging your system with that anticipation and reward. And that's what was so de- so devastating about internet porn or even gambling is it's the, just the never-ending stream of, of stimulation. And of course, what happens is you can actually become what's called dopamine resistant to other stimulus. So people who become addicted to whatever behavior or chemicals no longer are producing a dopamine uh, reward response that they might have with their loved ones, with family, with work, with exercise, um, any other pleasurable activity has now been supplanted by this very hardwired, very fixated behavior. Uh, so it really doesn't matter whether it's behavioral or chemical. And the other fascinating thing that's been identified recently uh, by a team of researchers, I believe at Harvard, is they've isolated a protein in the brain called um, delta FOSB. And delta FOSB is a chemical that is um, actuated in the brain with this kind of addictive uh, pattern. So when you have a highly elevated um, reward circuit uh, in this addictive pattern, um, 
this switch goes on in your brain and delta false B, the levels of it are increased in your brain, again, around that reward response. And so it kind of kicks up, it turbocharges the addiction. So you find very high levels of this in uh, people who are highly addicted to cocaine and um, presumably with uh, users of internet porn or any other highly addictive behavior. So um, how do we deal with this addiction? Well, certainly you have to deal with the stress that's underneath and identify what it is that the person is craving because, of course, the behavior does not satisfy the craving. It just creates a loop. And it's a very destructive loop because you never, it's a scratch, you'll never itch. You keep scratching and scratching and scratching, but there's no satisfaction there. So we have to find out what the urge is underneath, identify what that stressor, what those stressors are and what's driving the person to that behavior, and then slowly desensitize that response. And what that means is that um, once that stressor or that uh, driver is not present so much, then the urge subsides. And you can start to slowly reintroduce um, alternate, healthier patterns of reward um, to whatever the, the negative behavior is. But the two have to go hand in hand. You have to desensitize the trigger and then at the same time um, build up the reward that the person naturally would want to get. Well, that's quite a detailed uh, introduction to addiction. And I hope it's been helpful to understand the way it works in the brain and that it's not necessarily a chemical addiction. Now, I have to be careful when I say that because there are uh, receptors all over the brain and body that do get wired into uh, certain uh, exogenous chemicals, which means out, outside the body. So, for example, with heroin addiction, um, there are opiate receptors in the brain, um, and the same with other um, drugs, um, that, that become uh, wired in and, and overproduce and other receptors turn off. So, for example, with heroin, when, uh, when your natural painkiller opiate receptor sites, um, which, for example, like endorphins, which are naturally occur in the body, which are there to help you relieve pain that you might not even notice because they're happening in the background. When that process and those receptor sites get taken over by the supply of opiates externally, then they start to reform and repopulate to that external uh, chemical introduction. So you become addicted to the external substance of heroin. Your body stops producing its own uh, opiates and its receptor sites become wired to the external supply. So you can guess what happens next. If you go cold turkey or if you cut off or you're, you're short a hit of um, heroin or cocaine or whatever it is, your body goes into agony and you have what's called the Jones and you have uh, withdrawal symptoms. And the same for alcohol, same for any behavior. Slightly different uh, chemicals in the body. Um, you know, the opiate withdrawal is, is a very different uh, response in the body to uh, the dopamine withdrawal, which can be more depression and lethargy and um, et cetera, or anxiety. So this is very interesting as well because the brain does not distinguish between physical pain and emotional pain. And we know this now through research and brain scans. And so what that means is that when you think about heartache or grief, it affects the body in a very similar way that um, physical pain would. And so the, the release of endorphins in, the, in our system to compensate for physical pain are also there with emotional pain. 
And this is why, for example, when we break up with somebody or somebody dies, we feel pain in our chest. There's a, there's a withdrawal of the connection that we had, whatever it may be, healthy or otherwise, in that relationship that was giving us a reward, uh, pleasure response, and now that's been taken away, and it's like being cut off of the supply of heroin. So your body goes into withdrawal. And, of course, this is why when you go through a breakup, you want to surround yourself with friends and maybe new activities, and you give yourself time to grieve and soothe yourself and nurture yourself, etc. So you can see that uh, addiction, in the strictest sense, um, has been used in terms of chemical dependency, but it has all kinds of other implications in um, brain-body chemistry and our, and our patterns of behavior. Other programs um, in the past and certainly coming up, I will cover this more in terms of how this affects um, behavioral patterns. And we become addicted to our negative thoughts. We become addicted to our uh, cravings and urges and our fantasies. And we become addicted to fear in a way. And we become wired into these responses and they seem very real to us. And so this is a very helpful approach to understand how to shift that pattern, how to recognize when you're caught in that addicted sense and you're kind of wired into a familiar response. No one ever wants to uh, be my friend, uh, I never get a good job, um, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, in more obvious terms, if you become addicted to sugar, et cetera, there is something there that's um, out of balance in your system and needs attention. Well, thanks for listening to the program again today. Uh, I hope this has been informative. It's uh, been my pleasure, as always, to host the show and to talk about uh, this very uh, topical subject of addiction. And... Um, as always, thank you for tuning into the program. If you've been listening live or the podcast, please spread the word. Facebook, Twitter, The Mind Whisperer. I'm Michael Gordon. I've been your host today. Have a great day. Take care of yourself, and we'll see you next time.